Hey, security peeps, we are live again with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity, and this is Mondays with Dr. Dan. And I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome people hire great talent. My co-host is back today, so we will shout him out first. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Hey, Howdy. 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 <laughs> Man of many words. Right. Short and sweet. Dr. Dan is back. Say hi to everybody, Dan. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's good to see people returned and new people. Uh, I'm a business and sports psychologist. Uh, I help bring the psychology of business into the workplace and help people win and avoid really, really, really costly mistakes. Yeah. Dan, we were chatting a little while ago and talking about all that's happening and going on and continuing to go on. And you were sharing that you saw some of the comments on LinkedIn with people, especially because we are continuing on our challenge. Before I get started with Dan, I wanna share with everyone, we are going to continue our challenge. We still need more people to get hired in January. We have a couple of days left. Um, but we are doing our InfoSec hires, 10 hires in January, and then we extended it. Chris Folon here. First, it was James Azar's big mouth. Now it's Chris Folon's bigger mouth, who said that he wants to do 221 people for the year 2021. OMG. So, why not? Why not? We have lots right. of unemployed just, people. We just, have lots of people coming work. into the industry. Let's let's <laughs> let's get people hired. Let's get people hired. So, with all that said, so the new hashtag is um, well, is going to be InfoSec hires, and then two twenty one in twenty twenty one, which is good, which will be very 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 exciting. I cannot wait to bust through that um, that goal this year. And so Dan started to see a lot of people making comments and he's been on these shows for the last goodness, almost a year now, um, listening to all of the InfoSec woes <laughs> that we deal with and go through. And so he kept seeing people making comments on LinkedIn around, you know, not being able to get hired and the different challenges that they're having. And so um, Dan talked about, and he uses this a lot with his clients and his, especially, I think, the athletes in particular, um, getting prepared to compete and making sure that you're prepared to compete. So before I let Dan take it away, I want to shout some people out. Hey, Jonathan, good morning. And Ben is back. Hey, Ben, good morning, everyone. So, uh, Dan? Yeah, uh, you know, I think if you look... You know, when Renee and I worked in the past, we dealt a lot with people who were way, way up the reporting ladder. So it wasn't just the person you report to above you, but the person above them and above them. And one of those people need to have happened for their career, for their future, uh, for the operation of the organization that they're running. And we found it frequently uh, people were dropping off from their support team. They didn't even realize they weren't there. Stuff wasn't getting done. And so one of the questions we asked is uh, what information is not getting passed up to the CIO? So you're a CIO, you're running an organization, whatever it is, whatever the structure is, and you expect that you're getting all the information you need to make decisions. 
And I found over and over again that if the information that somebody below you uh, gets and either they're not comfortable, confident enough, prepared enough to present it to you, if they feel it's a risk to present it to you, then you're not getting it. And so the question that we found that people on that level that Renee and I worked with were asking, what am I not learning? What am I not hearing about? And how could somebody possibly let me make a decision without all the information that I need? And so that comes back to, you know, winging it. You know, some people just have to wing it and winging it only works until a bar gets raised. And frequently the bar gets raised and you don't see it. You don't know that it's getting raised. And so what happens? So one of the things that, you know, Chris talked about, the amount of people who are looking for jobs, the amount of people who are running companies who really, really need have competent people who fit their competency model, which we can talk about as we go along. But what does it cost somebody not to hire the right person? What does it cost somebody? What does it cost a company? You know, what does it cost somebody in, in money? A lot sometimes. What does it cost them in emotion? Sometimes a lot. But what about reputation? And so it's making sure that people are asking the right questions and they're prepared to compete. So how do people prepare to compete? It's certainly being knowledgeable about your topic what you're dealing with, the area you want to get into, but also from a personal perspective, from each individual who's on this call, who ultimately Renee and I and Chris feel that these people are really the CEOs of their own company. Everybody on this call is running your own company. It's no different than a professional athlete who says, well, I'm on a team. Yeah, okay, you're on a team, but if you don't bring your A game to the field, Nothing's happening. And the people on your team need the confidence that you're bringing your A game. And if somebody on your team needs more resources or more education, then frequently in the companies that I've worked with, it's the responsibility of people above them to educate them, to give them the tools they need to, to do what you need to get done. So it's really taking an overview of everything and saying, how do we make this happen? And, you know, I've, the degree, we just finished these two great football games on, on Sunday. I mean, I'm happy, you know, what's better than Tom Brady and Mahomes in the Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, nothing. I can't wait. So, so the point is, is that, uh, but it didn't happen by accident. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, one of the examples I used for preparation for competition was Super Bowl three. Now, <laughs> my granddaughter said to me, you were alive at Super Bowl three? I said, yes. But, but the point is, is that Super Bowl three, Dave Herman protected Joe Namath from Bubba Smith. Bubba Smith was six, seven, 300, who knows, whatever pounds. And I said to Dave, how did you do that? How were you at 62250 able to protect him? He said, I watch game films. I said, what do you watch for? He said, well, I figured when a guy that big has got to move forward, he has to be standing on one foot just a little bit longer than everybody else. So I just waited till he was on one toe. 
until he was on one foot. I watched his foot come up. The minute his foot came up, that's when I would hit him. So when, when somebody has four quarters and numerous downs to win a Super Bowl and has that much riding on it, you know, and they prepare to that degree, how do people not prepare that? I have never been in a, an InfoSec interview with somebody, so I'm not, I don't know what questions they're looking for. I don't know what a company is looking for. But I think that somebody would want to be thinking about what is this interview and need to have happen, both for them personally and for their company. Who do they have to report to? What does that person need to have happen? And so it's it's just a different way of looking at it. You're right, Dan. I think that um, when you talked about just being able to prepare at that level, when you talk about Joe Neiman, things talk about Super Bowl three, and how prepared somebody like that is. Like, how much did he have to watch that game? Um, you know, the replays over and over to see, to spot that this is what would be the spot that would make him, you know, right. tip over. So right. you think about the preparation, the level of preparation that goes into something like that um, to compete and to be at that level. It's pretty fascinating. And when you bring it back to, when you bring it back to cybersecurity, I would have to ask the two of you, what, what, what's that, What's the connection? What's the similarity there? I, I would say some of the, the similarities are things like um, doing continuous research, um, keeping up on the topics of the day, um, doing labs so that you understand the technology. But I think some of the other preparation that will be critical is interview prep. Um, being able to talk to those game stories, to talk to your actions, to talk through your frame of thinking and to be prepared to tell those stories when you are in an interview with a hiring manager or even just a peer that could refer you to someone that they can have that positive interaction with you uh, to pass you up the chain. I agree with you. I would also add that um, uh, to, to Chris, to both of your points, um, there was a young lady that came on the show few, gosh, got to be a few years ago now. Um, and she talked about how she, do you remember which one with all the, all those interviews, 30 something interviews? Yeah. Uh, she had over 30 interviews and she said by the time she got to her last interview, she was as cute, cool as a cucumber, as she said. Um, and I, I feel the same way. I mean, when I've, when I've been on hunting sprees and I've had lots of interviews, I'd take an interview parked in the parking lot, um, driving home from, from work because I knew my story. I, I knew how to respond to things. Um, and I had it down pack. I was, I was ready and ready to go anytime. Yeah. And that's really about preparation because, you know, I tell people all the time, hopefully you're not interviewing all the time. <laughs> hopefully that's not happening. So when it is the time to interview, you know, getting that prep ready, getting ready is definitely key. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if you guys would agree that that a person in cybersecurity today is always a consultant. They, they have their own consulting company. They don't work for somebody else. They have a consulting company. They bring whatever level of expertise they have to that, re, to that event. And the thing is, is that 
30 in, it, for somebody to take 30 interviews to get comfortable, what difference would it make if she was comfortable in the first interview? Well, I think that in her particular case, you know, she was pretty junior. Um, I think it was her first role and it was the process. So getting to that point that, you know, that she did all those 30 interviews, but yeah, Dan, I see where you're coming from with the 30 interviews or getting, getting prepped up. So you're as cool as a cucumber on your first, just like you would be on your 30th. Well, yeah, that's what what I'm saying. Because, you know, part of my practice is I use hypnosis to make that happen with people. I help them be able to focus and concentrate immediately. And then putting together the correct story, that's the kind of thing that you and Chris would do. Because I don't know how to put together that story. But having the confidence to talk about it and, and uh, uh, you know, it becomes, it becomes important to be able to, uh, to present yourself in a way that uh, th- to give the person that's speaking to you the language that they need to talk about you to somebody else. You know, people, pe- people say today in, in general business, even people who are on here who sell products to cybersecurity, they talk about a 30-second elevator pitch. Well, you don't have 30 seconds. You only have six seconds to get somebody to say, hey, you know, I need to come back and ask them questions. The other thing is, you know, I, we talk a lot. We've talked about this on a program for a long time, that everybody I work with today is in 2026 working backwards. Where do you want to be? What does it look like? What does your company look like? What's your dream? That takes... That takes the dream and puts it into your subconscious mind, which will act on it over and over and over again without you having to do anything but just follow along with where it sends you. But you create the dream, and then you have the dream drag you toward it. But I found guys with HP that I worked with when we were in a merge with Compaq, and that was like eons ago. Uh, You know, I just said, uh, you know, get somebody out of 2021 into 2026, and what happens is you're giving the people in the company you're talking to the, the, uh, the ability to dream and permission to dream. Dream of it. What do you want to be? And what's in the way? And one of the things that's in the way is not hiring somebody like Renee or Chris to help them with that. Or me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um one other thing, one other questions from one of the audiences is, can it be detrimental to be overconfident? And I, I think there's a difference between confidence and arrogance or config, confidence and being a prick or um, some, some other adjective we want to use. But um, you can talk confidently about your experiences while still acknowledging that you might not know everything. Um, but still be confident in your ability to deliver and your ability to learn on the go. I, I agree with you. But, but, you know, it's really evaluating who you're talking to. You have to understand who you're talking to. Renee and I have talked about this for years. You can go into a company and be talking to somebody who you threaten. They may be looking for your job. Or they may be waiting to move up into your job. So you're never getting past them. So, but it, it's really it's really profiling who you're talking to. 
what you need to say to them, what they need to hear. And putting that together requires some research. Like, like Chris says, you know, you, see, I'm not talking here at all about researching the topics of InfoSec uh, or, or the software or the, the tools that are out there. I'm talking about the psychology that's brought into the interview and that you bring into a company. Yeah. And the people who who have most concern, who should have the most concern about this, in my belief, is the CIOs. Because they're depending on the people underneath them to carry through their mandate. And so that's where the question should be, because Renee and I have been dealing with this too for years. You know, people people who who are sitting up there going, they said, Do you know what's going on? And they said, What? I think I think many people would be surprised at how much leaders are unaware of things. Um, they don't know what's going on, or they they may think one thing is happening and it's something else. If, if, if they're depending on people to communicate that to them, that becomes important. I wanted to add in um, to Tony, to uh, Chris's response to Tony's question about uh, being overconfident. I think, you know, when you are interviewing and specifically around interviewing, um, knowing your stuff is is very uh, important. And being, I guess, confident is always a good thing, you know, making people feel comfortable. I remember having... Um, going to the doctor when I wanted to, when I was having my second son, my second son, and I had all these medical issues prior. And so when I got referred to two people and the first person um, was not a, I mean, she, she, she sounded okay. She sounded good. She sounded fine. Um, and she I asked her, you know, specific questions that had these various conditions and so she, uh, you know, she responded, she was okay. But the second guy, when I went to him, he's like, look, I got this, you'll be fine. You know, like he, he, he knew, he said, I've done this before. <laughs> this is a not worst case scenario. You know, like he took away the nerves and sometimes you need somebody that can just come in and say, yeah, I'm confident you're good. Nothing's going to happen. Don't worry about it. We've done this, you know, I've done this a thousand times before. Um, and so I ended up going with him and it was a great experience. And so, I think, you know, having that confidence in your work and in yourself, you know, you know what you can provide, you know, what you can bring to the table. It's important. But to Dan's point, when you're, you know, in the role or potentially you get in these places and your confidence is looked at as a threat to some people. And I've experienced it. I mean, Dan, we, we could have 14 of these talking about, <laughs> <laughs> about what happens. Um, so, you know, but again, with Dan and the psychology and the psychological aspect of it all, like, Hey, you know, this person may be threatened by you because of this and you not really realizing that you're threatening anybody. You're just, you know, moseying along doing your work because that's what you do. Um, not knowing that someone else is, is having a, uh, an issue with that. So. And I think that's where like peer interviews and interviews with other individual and the companies um, outside of the process, you could reach out to someone and just trying to find out the culture, find out what's happening there. And you can kind of gauge that from the culture. 
as to how cutthroat it might be and whether um, people will be acting in that sort of fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. The culture, the culture fit part is so, so very important. Michelle, some more people out here. Kevin says he is glad to be here. Glad to have you here, Kevin Russell. And um, Terrence is here. Hey, Terrence, good to see you here today. So um, as we continue on, Dan, what are some of the other things that you see as um, challenges for people? You know, we talked about the preparation. You know, how should they get prepared? Like that, I, I know, you know, if they can't do your if they can't participate in um, some of the stuff that you do in your practice and the hypnosis and things like that to get them prepared, like immediately, what are some other things for folks to be able to, um, to start to prepare, you know, to prepare to compete, to think, to realize like you're always in competition. Well, you know, we, we had that discussion with someone some months ago who said that it sounded like I was talking about people competing and, Somebody has to win, and for somebody to win, somebody has to lose. And she wasn't comfortable with that. And, and I said, you know, if you were not competitive, if you didn't want to win, I couldn't hire you as, as a cybersecurity person to protect my company because you're competing all the time, constantly. The competition is always there. But you mentioned about being uncomfortable. One of the things I find is, is that people can find a way to be comfortable when they're uncomfortable. You know, you realize you're uncomfortable I'm in an uncomfortable situation, which I think that these infosec people are all the time. You never know what's coming or who's coming after you. And so how do you become, how do you make sure that your discomfort or whatever does not impact your performance? And the more you can get your performance into your subconscious mind, the better off you are. Because any play that you saw happen on the, on the games yesterday these guys didn't think about what they, where they were going to throw the ball. They, they just saw the opening, and it was it was it it happened so fast that you have to rely on your subconscious to do that. But a lot of what happens is people are be able to identify what they do well, and I'm astounded at the amount of people who are really really good at what they do and can't tell you what they do. They do it without thinking. We talked about unconscious competence. That was one of our topics a month, a month or two ago. So, and it, and it requires you, I believe, to realize why God made your arms so long. So you can pat yourself on the back from time to time, you know, uh, because you really, uh, but again, to be able to, to communicate, to be able to interpret or understand through pre-interviews or setting up an interview, what the company is looking for, what's not happening in this company at this point, what, what type of challenges do they have? What challenges do they anticipate? Uh, and then again, are they willing to talk about it? We talked a lot about, about the security of conversations that we have with people uh, where people want to come in anonymously. They don't want anybody to know they're asking these questions. They don't want anybody to know they're looking to move to another position. Or... How many of you have had people chasing you? They've known your reputation. They're coming after you. They know where you are. They, they want to bat down your door. And I see that with people recruiting all the time. I have two people I'm working with now. They said, oh, I don't know about interviews. I said, all you have to do is stand still. 
and they're gonna be knocking at your door, and they are. But and, it, and I think some some of that that you were mentioning as to like the unconscious competence, it's taking a step back and um, either writing down your story, creating a storyline um, that you can respond to in an interview, or creating a playbook um, like the pros do in football. Okay, if this happens, then we have this, this, and this step that we can follow. And a lot of security professionals have that playbook as to how to respond to certain situations. So be proactive and create that playbook yourself so that that is a story that you can talk to um, when you are in an interview asking, how would you tackle that situation? You might not have done it in the past, but you can already talk through your game plan for tackling those, those types of situations. All right, Chris, I think you're right. They have to work on a story. They have to work on a story. But what, what story meets the needs of the company you're talking to? And is the person who's your hiring manager, are they familiar enough with the field and the risks to be able to appreciate the story you're telling them? I think that question is so very important because I hear a lot of times, especially when you get higher up the chain um, at the, you know, the executive level, when you start to get to CISOs and directors of security, and they say that they don't, they feel that, you know, these companies and leaders and, and stuff that don't understand what they do and don't know what they do. And so right. they, it's, so they struggle to hire the right type of talent because they don't know what to hire for. Don't so the right they don't know the right questions to ask. They don't know what to hire for. So when you talk about then, you know, the um, competency models and things like that, you know, that that's the place where I see uh, a gap um, because I hear this, I hear this quite often, especially at the leadership levels. Well, you know, we, yeah, if you want, if you want to, uh, I don't want to say steal from a big company that spent an awful lot of money putting together this concept. Uh, having a competency model requires you to really identify what you need your people to do. On a, and this is global. This is not local small companies. This is a worldwide global company. And, you know, if you wanted to email me, you just put competency model. I'll send you the competency model. Go down a list and do what we did with senior executives from HP. Look at this list and tell us what you really do well. Check, highlight it. Check it off well. And then look at the other things that you think that with the role I'm going into, what do I need to do? What skills do I need to, to perform very well in that, in that role? And it'll, it, may, it may tell you there, but if not, you should create your own competency model. I don't know how a company can hire somebody without a competency model. Because if somebody walked out tomorrow and left, how do you know what competencies he or she had that you need to fill in if she was doing a great job? And then why did she leave? That's another question. When somebody leaves the company, what's going on that makes them leave? Really, and I could write four books, four novels on that. <laughs> but, but again, it, when, when you look, you know, when something is not working, I think the thing is, we, we had a discussion last week about a company that said, 
I've had a role available open for a year. I have no recruiting uh, system within my company. And that's, oh, we, and, and, and oh, we've never done this before. Exactly. That's why you had a, so what did it cost you to have somebody, to have an open role? Maybe nothing. Maybe it's like somebody who's not, unessential, but not always. And who's to make the decision? Right. You know. And that's very often a question, you know, like what's the risk? Because if it's been some of, some of these places, and, and we can go all the way back, you know, Dan and I can go years back. Yeah, asking, yeah. <laughs> asking the same question. What's the risk? You know, you have a position open for a year. Do you need it? You, do, do you really need that spot? You well, know, and if you, and if depends you don't, on how much pain they feel. <laughs> it's if you can hang out with it for a year without without it for a year, then maybe the risk is not that that high of not having it filled. I think what I've what we've heard a lot on phone calls from people is uh, the amount of people who don't really know uh, what's going on in their company, and they, they're not knowledgeable enough about the topic and. When you ask somebody who's on a senior level about these topics that you guys are familiar with, that you live and sleep with, uh, maybe they're embarrassed to tell you they don't know. So yeah. what? So how, how do you make somebody comfortable with not knowing this stuff? See, when I talk about stories to people, I never talk about myself or the person I'm with. I talk about somebody else. I'll talk about my friend who who he's a project manager. He's got international construction projects all over the place. And I said, when you look over a contract, what do you look at? And he says, I look for what's missing. He said, I know it's going to be there. It will boilerplate, but I look for what's missing. And finding in a contract he just, he reviewed a couple of years ago, he discovered one word was missing. And when they added the word into the contract, uh, it saved his client one hundred fifty thousand dollars. One word, worth one hundred fifty thousand. Yep. So it's how do you get people to think about when they're talking about not anybody who's interviewing? It's not what does it cost them to? to well, I, I use Rene and Chris, so you know, uh, it, it's not that I want to hire Rene and Chris. My question is, what is? I don't want to not hire them. I've said this before. I said, if somebody's trying to build a cybersecurity team, what do they want to do? Go to the yellow pages? To find? I said, no, you call, you call Renee. You call. So it's, it's people who are in the field who, are, who attract people, who ask them questions. And how do you separate yourself from your competition? By being different. Yeah. And many, I was, go ahead. Um, I would say this right before we wrap, Dan. Um, you know, I was just thinking about even Chris's uh, consulting, you know, working with people in security, you know, ha ha having his, his type of background. And it, it is true. What does it cost you not to connect with Chris? Um, because you may be in your own head, you know, uh, and, and thinking that you should be going down one path and having three conversations with Chris could shorten your path to where you want to get to in three months, six months, you know, like it could literally shorten it down. 
and it's it's it it it, it really truly is what it, what does it cost not to connect with him you know thinking about these resumes and all this, the work that we're doing what does it cost to have a resume that's going to get you nowhere you will spin your wheels forever and in a couple of you know a couple of sessions uh 2 weeks ago six people out of that were able to, well, six people in, in total, but so many people got so much out of having expertise and people who look at this stuff on a consistent basis provide our uh, insight. So, you know, when it comes to Chris, when it comes to Dan, um, what does it cost not to be connected to folks like this, not reaching out to them, not, you know, not working with them? What does it cost you not to do it? So, you know, it's just exactly. going on, you know, it's incalculable. You never know. I'll tell you where, I'll tell you where you don't want to be. Yeah. You don't want to be in 2026 looking backwards, say, oh, my God, I wish I had done this sooner. Yep. I wish I had called them sooner. And so from my perspective, take a look at my website. There's a lot of information on it. If you have any questions, call me. Calls are free the first time and, and to find out what's going on. And uh, because I don't, I, I hate to see somebody out there struggling and trying to figure what's the next step. And, and believe me, if you're looking for cybersecurity strategy, I'm not the guy. I'm the second guy. You to these people. You know? Exactly, exactly. So, folks, uh, we are going to wrap. We are a little bit over our 30 minute mark today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Chris. As always, a lively conversation. Our uh, virtual audience, always great to see all these folks here with us. And this week is a busy week for me in particular. I have tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow I'm about to create um, the link for tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to have Christy Rutherford on here. And Christy Rutherford is a shark. <laughs> she is amazing. She is going to come on. She has been working with uh, executives and getting them since June of 2020. So think about this, June, the middle of a pandemic. Since June of 2020, she has helped people get 1.5 million, I believe, in raises or 1.25 million in raises, something like that. She talked to me about somebody who she helped get 75K. Um, I mean, unbelievable. So she's going to be on here talking about office politics. So some of the stuff that we talk about here, all this good stuff. So she's great. She's fantastic. She's here tomorrow. Um, Wednesday daytime, I am hanging out with uh, Chris Roberts and the folks from Wiser will be talking. So that link is up. I'm going to put this out there for everybody to see. Wednesday evening, we are going to be with Federal Career Connections. So... Um, Chris Westbrook, a lot of Chris's this week. <laughs> Chris Westbrook, who is the person, the, the lady who, um, former, you know, retired CIA, uh, she came, she came on and she gave such phenomenal tips. So she's coming back. That's Wednesday night at seven. Um, and then Thursday, once again, CISO Thursdays. So busy, 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 busy week. This should be a lot of fun. Um, uh, we're going to get some people hired. Uh, in the year 2021, we're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna use 2021 and make it like a double year, like 2020 and 2021 all together, you know, to get all these people hired this year. So I'm excited. Um, so 
with all of that said, everyone have a good day since you're going to see me very often this week. <laughs> and Dan, we'll see you on Thursday. Yep. Chris, we'll see you one of these days, hopefully in the week. And we'll keep it going. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Good Bye, day. Everybody.